We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It is, it's me, it's TRG, the Ramblin' Gambler. What would you do if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song and I'll try not to sing off key. I get by with a little help from my friends. Friends, welcome to episode 94 of our Casino Combat Podcast. I am not going to sing you a tune. Don't worry. You don't have to press stop. Not going to sing you a tune. But I am going to do something that I do not do often enough. I'm going to start off today. I'm going to start this episode by thanking my friends T-Rex and Billy with the great last name for all the things they do behind the scenes to help me with our podcast. And then let me thank all of you who share your time with me and listen to my rambling. I appreciate each and every one of you. Let's do the legal stuff quickly, and then we will get started with this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, non-binary persons, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Do not gamble with money you cannot afford to lose. Do not gamble with money you need to pay bills. My past performances are not indicative of anyone's future results, including my own. If you have a gambling problem, contact your local problem gambling hotline. If you do not know how to contact your local problem gambling hotline, send an email to help at casinocombat.com, and we will find that number for you and make it available to you. Everything I'm going to share with you in this podcast is based in fact. Names and dates have been altered to protect the innocent and the guilty. Minor items unreal related outcomes may be omitted in the interest of brevity and clarity. All right, that gets easier, but it never gets easy. Uh, three takes this week, folks. I, <laughs> I think I took three takes the first time I ever did it. Sometimes those get really, really tricky. I've got a couple of quick updates for you from around the Casino Combat Galaxy, so let me do those, and then we'll get the battle plan, and then we'll get started. First up, Jay, boots on the ground in Philly C, sent me an email and said, this email is for is information for your PA listeners if they already don't know or anyone that's close to the state line of PA. There is an online casino called Wind Creek Casino, basically giving away $76 of free play every week until August. And I'm sorry, I'm bringing you this so close to the end of the month of July, everybody. Uh, he continues, or she continues... Basically, you deposit $10 and get $26 of free play. A smart player like yourself and the squad will play the $26 and whatever you win plus your original $10 can then be withdrawn. <laughs> that is a great tip. That is excellent. If you are in the Pennsylvania area, take advantage of that. That That's a neat little hack that uh, Boots on the Ground has, has found for us. I'm actually going to be in Philly this weekend, and I'm going to give this a try. This is a, this is a nice little tip. Thank you very much. I always appreciate when I get uh, information like that, and happy to be able to pass it along to all of you. If you have a chance, take advantage of that one. Next, Inner Circle member Equine Ensign wrote to share some details of a trip he took to Atlantic City, and here is what he sent. Hey, TRG. I had a good trip to AC. This was a family trip, so time in the casino was limited to when it would not interfere with the family. Like I told you before, I like to try to win enough to cover my out-of-pocket expenses, and if I can come home with extra, that's icing on the cake. Yep, that is what casino combat is all about. If you're in a casino, cover the expenses, and if you can do that, great, and if you can win a little extra, that's even better. 
particularly on a trip that's not a gambling trip. E squared continues, on this trip, I only played craps, 15-unit buy-ins, and 5-unit bets after the come-out. After the come-out roll, I would bet 1 unit on the field and 2-ish units on both the 6 and the 8. After the first roll, I would win 1 unit. That's going to happen, as long as it's not the 5 or big red. So this is a modified iron cross that uh, E squared is doing here. I kind of like this modification, actually. And now here, just let me update you a little bit. These are my words. Um, big set, big red is an S-E-V-E-N. You never say, or in this case, type S-E-V-E-N as a word when you're discussing craps. It's part of the etiquette of the game. It's part of the superstition of the game. You never say that word. Uh, big red is the substitute word for that. That's why I spelled it instead of saying it. I'm going to honor the custom. I'm going to honor the etiquette. I'm going to honor the rules of the game. To continue with his email, he says, I would take that one unit, so the one unit he just won with his modified iron cross, and put it on the five. And so now he's got the full iron cross. I'm sorry, I keep interjecting. <laughs> After the second roll, I would win one unit and pull everything down and wait for a new point to be established. If a five is rolled on the first roll, I would lose my field bet and just put it back up and play until two more rolls slash wins. If a five rolled on the second roll... I would win about a half unit and still pull down with one and a half units one instead of two. It was always a nice bonus if the second roll was a two or 12 because that would pay two units. So a little bonus. If the two or 12 hit on the first roll, I would pull my bets down because my goal is two units and pull down. I really love this. I really do. This is this is very smart, and I'm sure it is going to get boring when somebody is, is throwing number after number after number, and you're going to be tempted to get back in, and you're going to have to have that discipline to just wait. But I, I really love this. This is this is really smart. This is really well put together. For example, he says, at a $10 table, I would put 18 on the 6, and 18 on the 8, and 10 on the field after the come-out roll. After the first roll slash win, I would put that on the five. And after the second roll slash win, I would pull everything down and wait for a new point to be established and repeat until I hit my win goal. I decided to make my win goal five to eight units and my stop loss, that would be negative exit in uh, casino combat terminology. Uh, he, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm interjecting probably more than I should have. He says, my stop loss is down three plays. So 18 plus 18 plus 10 equals 48 times 3, 144, call it 150, or until I don't have enough chips left to make a bet. For example, if I was down to $30, I would not get more chips to make another bet. I would leave down 120 for that session. And he says, I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It makes absolutely perfect sense. He's got his positive exit number. He's got his negative exit number. He's he's got his discipline. He's well within the probabilities for the game of craps. Yes, it's very very possible that he's going to put his bets down and there's going to be a big red and that that's going to happen three times in a row and he's going to hit his stop loss. He's going to hit in as his term stop loss. He's going to hit his negative exit in the ways I like to talk about this. But that's just an incredibly solid plan. Most times get get paid twice when the only thing that doesn't pay you is a five on the first roll and a big red after that. If you win one, those are really good probabilities. 
you know, anything can happen. We say that. I've been saying that recently a little bit more. But the probability is that you're going to get paid twice and then wait for a while and get paid twice and wait for a while. And as a hang out at the casino, get tier credits, make money approach, this is great. This is this is great stuff. E-squared continues. For this trip, I played nine bubble crafts tables, one live table, and one roll-to-win table when I stopped at another casino. I wanted to play at the live, live tables, but they were always full. However, I did like the speed on the bubble crafts table. Here are my result, results. Overall, 10 winning tables and one losing table. That, uh, that sounds like right in line with probability to me. That sounds like a good number. Bubble crafts, 44.9 units won. 13.9 units lost. Live table, 5 units won. Roll to win, 9 units won. And he adds a note, I stayed longer on this table because the guy was having a good roll. I did win another 4 units, keeping half unit on the 5, 6, 8, and field. Iron cross. After I won my 9 units and won an additional 4 units before I pulled back my bets and had to leave. So he had a sense the guy was, was, was rolling well. He wanted to stay in the game. He regressed his bets, retrogressed his bets, yeah. He pulled his bets lower and stayed in the game and won a little bit more. Overall, for the trip, he says he won 45 units. Now I want, and he continues, now I want to continue to play this and see how it works out and see if there is a progressive and regressive betting strategy or just keep how it, keep it how it is, knowing I will take about three sessions to make up a loss. Also, I'm not sure if I want to buy in with 18 units and start by putting money on the 5, 6, 8 and field to start instead of the 6, 8 field. Hope that all made sense. Thanks for the podcast. E squared. Great trip report. Great trip report. Great trip. Love hearing people win. Really, really do. Thank you so much, Equine Ensign. Really appreciate it. That's a solid win for a family trip. That wasn't about gambling. I mean, you, you, you took this trip for other reasons. Gambling was there. And that illustrates how useful it is to be a skilled gambler, even if you are not an everyday gambler. Solid skills and knowledge are on display in this email. This is what I love. E-squared leveraged skills, abilities, and knowledge because casinos were available where he was. And you've seen me do this, right? You've seen me go on the birthday trip that's a family trip, but there's a casino available and we make money and pay for the trip because we have the right knowledge and skills. And now I have to admit that as I read this the first time, I was already thinking about how I would add progressive and regressive concepts, components to this. And here's what I would do to make that modification. I think I'd expand my bankroll on this from... 48, 48, 48 to 48, call it 100, call it 200. So 350, just to round up. And if I hit big red before I could get paid and got wiped out on the $48 set of wagers, I'd go to 36 and 36 on the 6 and 8 and 20 on the field the next time a point was established. And I'd run at that level. Essentially, I just doubled everything until I had my my uh, 48 lost on the, the first big red back. And then I dropped back down to the original bet and, and move forward again. And it's very improbable that this would happen and big red would wipe out those higher level wagers. And if they did, I'd go 72, 72, 40, 
recoup everything, and then drop back down. So a, a, a pretty straight-up Martingale, regressive wagers, up, av, uh, up because of losses, and a real simple trigger for that, up because of losses. It's a bigger buy-in, but it's going to recover faster after a negative outcome. And it does increase what you're going to lose if bad things do happen. But it's also going to make it easier to recoup previous losses. And you could, of course, do the math and meta Martingale this whole thing at the next craps table. So that puts you at a much, I mean, you need a much bigger bankroll to do this. You're making more bets. You need a much, much bigger bankroll because you're $700 at the, uh, at the second table and you're fourteen hundred dollars at the third table, so it's a big bankroll. But I think that's how I'd approach this. I I, I think that's what I would do there. And then of course, it, it's easy enough on the positive side, right? If you if you win two units, the first time a number is uh, a point is made, not point made, but a point occurs, and then you've made your wagers, your place wagers. And you repeat that process, and now you're up four units. I would probably also go to 24, 24, 13 then. 24 on the 6, 24 on the 8, 13 on the field. And and go through that process that way after I'd won twice um, already. And then I'd add 6 to the place numbers and 3 to the field bet if the winning continued. I think that's the way... I think that's the way I'd put progressive and regressive wagers into what's been outlined here. But solid stuff. Nice little modification of the Iron Cross. And then I'll also say between this email and I'd also say that between this email and some online messaging that I've done with Equine Ensign, I'm really intrigued by bubble craps. I'm planning on spending some time on those and checking those machines out. It's something I've avoided, but he has pointed out to me, and, and I think he's right, that part of why I've lately not been doing as much craps is because I've been time constrained and using my always be grinding strategy on don't pass on craps is pretty time consuming. And, and he's making the observation that at bubble craps, the game is much faster. And so I'm, I'm going to have to check that out. Guardian the Jet have not checked in, and that covers what's been going on in the Casino Combat Galaxy. For today's episode, I'm going to do a core concepts segment. I want to talk today about the difference between beginner casino combat and PhD level casino combat and a core concept segment seems like the most logical place to do it. I don't know if there's a perfect logical place, but it's an idea I want to talk about and unpack for you. And so I'm going to do a core concept segment and, and talk about the difference between level and knowledge and, and how that impacts how all this can be done. Then we're going to go and do a questions my son asks segment so I can re- so I can respond to a listener's question regarding the handling of wins. I got a couple of the little things I want to talk about there that are kind of question based. We will, of course, have a travel segment so I can share my outcomes for the past two Two weeks as well as some observations and meaningful details finally we will adjourn to the virtual vip lounge for some sips and a story i actually have a trilogy of tables to tell you about today that will reveal i can get away with more than i thought at my local casino well maybe it kind of depends on on the uh on which of my fellow employees are involved to play off of what we talked about last episode so we're going to get started um oh <laughs> wow Breaking news, breaking news. I should have like some little buzzer or something for that. Uh, I really should. We have big, big news from the Casino Combat Galaxy that is just breaking huge, 
you this this is amazing inner circle member virginia casino player doug eighth to the ring just posted just posted some amazing news in our casino combat squad group on facebook we have a group on facebook called the casino combat squad that everybody can interact with that we can talk with as a talk in as a group as a squad and uh, Virginia Casino player Doug VCPD is is one of our inner circle members that's very active there. He just posted a link to a website called Feedpost, and there is a blog post that they have created on their site, the 25 most must-listen-to casino podcasts for 2022. Our podcast not only made the list, we are number one. The number one most must listen to podcast of 2022. Wow. Just, just wow. That's hard to believe. That, that's wonderful. Thanks for bringing that to us, VCPD. Thanks for letting us know. Everyone, I uh, just looking through this very, very quickly. There are some great podcasts on this list. Just, just being in this company would have been fine. I'd have been happy with 25. I'd have been happy and honored. To just be number 25 on this list. Dr. Slots is on this list. Tens and Aces is on this list. If you want some great casino content, and yes, we should assume content is spelled with a K, check out VCPD's post and see the rest of the top 25 for 2022. I I <laughs> I was gonna say I'm speechless, but you know me, I'm not speechless. Uh, but I I this is this is great. This is amazing. It really is. All right, we have a straightforward plan to execute on today. This is going to be a far from basic episode, however. Most of what I have for you in this episode is advanced techniques and things like that. Let's get started and work on everyone's core concepts, PhD. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Core concepts of casino combat are the fundamentals of being good at the game of casino gambling. There is a blog post on the website, casinocombat.com, that discusses all the core concepts in detail. If you are new to this podcast, I cannot urge you strongly enough. If you are finding the idea of being good at the game of professional gambling interesting, if you are interested in learning the skills to be a professional gambler, to make money as a gambler, you need to understand these concepts. And that's why I have them available to you on the website in a blog post. That is why on the Casino Combat YouTube channel, there is a playlist exclusive to the YouTube channel called Boot Camp. And in that uh, playlist, I uh, take out the stories, I take out the jokes, I take out all of that as much as possible. I take more of a teaching approach, and I teach the core concepts of casino combat in short lessons. They're 10 or 15 minutes each. You can take them at your own pace. In less than 90 minutes, you can understand the core concepts that I consider essential to being good at the game of casino gambling. And then let me be clear. The core concepts are Casino Gambling 101 and 201. 
the beginner stuff, the basics. TRG Wagering System 1 is the basics, the beginner stuff. Add in the Casino Wisdoms, and we are talking Casino Gambling 301 and 401. I'm, I'm using, you know, basic old school college terms for this. You know, uh, if we were liking this to a college course, then the core concepts and understanding them, TRG Wagering System 1 and understanding that, that would be your freshman year and your sophomore year of college. The Casino Wisdoms and understanding those, that would be your third and fourth year of college, your junior and senior year of college. TR Wagering System 2, always be grinding. And TRG Wagering System 3, the Meta Martingale, are the graduate level of casino gambling. Those are the advanced topics. Those are the topics that are optional. You can be fine and you can be successful at the game of casino gambling by just doing the the four-year degree, if you will. Understanding the wagering system, understanding the casino wisdoms, understanding the core concepts, and you can execute on that and you can have success at the game of casino gambling. In fact, the first year, the first yeah, up to episode 62, that's what I did. Up to episode 62, all the results are are accomplished using just the basics, just the beginner stuff, just the undergraduate stuff. 62, 63, I taught always be grinding. 64, I talked about Meta Martingale for what I think was the second time that I'd introduced that term, that, that, uh, that information to you. And I'm going to move on here and get past the intro to, to this segment. But let me mention that Inner Circle member Keeper of Wisdom went through and made sure that the list of Casino Wisdom numbers and the episode where they were introduced was accurate and correct. And we have, as a team, kept that up. You can go to the CasinoCombat.com website. You can go to the Fred section and you can download the Casino Combat Book of Casino Wisdom. And all the wisdoms are listed as is the episode where they were first discussed and introduced and explained. So if you are, again, if you are new, if you are not up to speed on the Casino Wisdoms, if you think you have missed some, if you need a refresher course, then you should go to the website, you should download the book of Casino Wisdom, and and then you can listen to the episodes where the wisdoms were, were introduced and explained. You can work on your undergraduate degree in Casino Combat by learning the wisdoms if that's something that you are lacking on and you are not prepared for graduation yet. I don't want to talk today about any one specific aspect of the core concepts. And as I said, this could have been a Casino Wisdom segment just as easily. It, it had to go somewhere. It doesn't fit anywhere exactly. So we're going to put it here and, and move forward. I don't want to talk about any specific wagering system. I don't want to talk about any specific wisdom. I want to talk about how someone like myself, I, I'm going to flatter myself and call me an expert, myself an expert here. And I, and I guess I must be because I created all of this. And so I must be an expert in it or as close as there is to an expert on these things at this point. I want to talk about how I apply these in real life. And if you're saying, wait, TRG, I thought we already knew that. I thought you were fully transparent and teaching us all of that. Fully transparent always. I am always fully transparent and at the same time I'm not. And let me kind of explain my thinking on this. I start almost every episode by saying items unrelated to outcomes may be omitted in the interest of brevity and clarity. 
I end almost every episode by saying everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. And those are not included without a great deal of intent behind them. They were included intentionally and for a purpose. They are not there for entertainment, although I hope they are entertaining. I hope they are amusing, and I hope they are informative, but there is an intent and a purpose there. I hope everyone knows where the ending quote comes from. I hope everyone is familiar with everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. If you are not, Google from a certain point of view, and you will be educated and informed. The unrelated to outcomes quote is often included at the end of a game show that is shown on television. The idea is that there may be things that occur within the taping of the game show episode that don't change who won or how much money or prizes were won, and those get cut out because they don't add anything to the value of the program. Let me then reflect on the point of view thing beyond its relevance to pop culture. I often told my sons, my sons would come and they would say, as children are going to do, they were excellent, excellent kids. They were excellent young men. But from a young age, they would say, they would come and one would say, this is what happened. And the other would say, no, that's not. This is what happened. And I would always try to diffuse the argument about what happened by saying, if there are two people in a room, there are three points of view. What person one says, what person two says, and what an objective observer like God would say really happened. And obviously, if there are three people, there are four points of view. And I suspect if there are four people, we reach the point where there are like six points of view. Everyone sees things a little differently. Everyone puts emphasis on slightly different places. When I illustrate and teach concepts and ideas in the podcast, I do that in what I hope is a simple, straightforward manner, as simple as possible. For example, I use $10 unit sizes to keep the math easy. I try to make everything black and white, clearly defined boxes. No shades of gray, very rigid, very mechanical when I'm illustrating concepts and ideas. It needs to be done that way for the ideas to be clearly understood. In my opinion, it needs to be done that way for someone who's just starting out. Obviously, these are all just my opinions on how to best present my material. And you can disagree. That's fine. You can say, oh no, TRG, you should be giving us the shades of gray. And I hope you know if you've been listening for a while that I'll be happy to listen to that feedback and try to make some adjustments. But what I'm sharing today is the idea that teaching, illustrating, explaining, I try to be very black and white, and I try to do that because I always assume. Look, some of you are very, very accomplished gamblers. We just had an e-report or a, a, a trip report from Equine Ensign, our inner circle member, and it's clear that he's a very, very skilled gambler. He probably does not need the beginner level of this. Some of it probably, frankly, bores him and others who are very, very good at this. But I also know from feedback, you know, I've had people say, people who are accomplished gamblers who've said, oh, I never thought about it that way. That really helped me because I'd never thought about that aspect of things. So I always do my illustrations, my teaches, my explanations, my examples, as if the person listening has never heard or had heard these ideas or had these thoughts. So having said all that and said it too many times and placed too much emphasis on it, the observed reality. If you sat 
on the cloud, the real clouds, if you had the top-down view, if you had God's view, regardless of your feelings about divinity or which God, but if you had God's if you had a God's eye view of what I do, if you were an unbiased observer, you would see that my process is a bit messier than what I actually do because that is how an expert, once again, in my opinion, the only opinion in this context that matters because I'm the one with the microphone, that's how an expert does it. A beginner shouldn't do it the way an expert does it. A beginner should do it the way I've taught it at the beginning level. And then as they get better, and that's why I'm bringing you this material today. As you get better and better, I don't want you thinking, oh, that's not the way TRG does it. And if we gamble together in real life, as is starting to occur, I don't want you to watch what I do and go, wait, that's not what you taught me. That's not what you said. Um, ECE had this experience already. He's part of what put this in my brain when I got to do some gambling with him earlier this summer. He's like, what waging system are you using tonight? And I said, well, I'm going to use always be grinding. I, I always do. That's pretty much my go-to. They both work. I just like that one better. And then he quickly called me out as I had two winning hands in a row and then won the next hand, the hand after that, he called me out because from the illustration, from the clean, clear illustration, I had said, after two wins in a row, I go up by a half unit until I get to two and a half. And depending on the unit size, we've talked about this, depending on the unit size, that's true. But from a certain point of view, it's not true because if the unit size doesn't lend itself to clean. See, if we use 10 as an example, right? We use a $10 unit size, then the up by half is very clean. We go five, 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 and we're at two and a half units. When the unit size isn't clear like that, when the unit size is 25 or 35 or 75, up by half doesn't get quite as clean. It gets a little messy. And so as an expert, my preference Let's take 25 as your unit size. My preference if I have a $25 unit size is to go 25, 35 after two wins in a row to go 25, 35. And if I win that to go 40, because if I win that, then up by half, which is to say up by $10, which isn't half anyway, half would be 1250. But the reality is messy when you're an expert. I like to go 25, 35, 40, 50, 55 to get to what I call two and a half units at $25 units because I'm not going to mess around with getting pink $2.50 chips. So the reality outside the illustration, the God level view of what I do is not nearly as clean as what I'm describing. And if you're finding yourself doing some of that as you get better at this, that's not a problem. You just have to have a PhD level of knowledge about what you're doing and why. And you get that by getting experience and practice doing it the beginner way in some fashion. And there's no degree on this. There's no test on this, although that is an interesting concept. The idea of making tests for the various levels and handing out diplomas is actually kind of interesting. We might have to think about that. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm just rambling now. You earn your PhD in casino combat by being so good that you can start 
going outside the lines a little bit, by going outside what I specifically tell you and doing that with intent and purpose because you are confident in your skills and abilities. So let me give you some other illustrations. I'm now going to illustrate the messy part of what I really do. If you really watched me do this for a week of local gambling, I'm going to illustrate what you would really see. I'm going to illustrate what a PhD level of casino combat operations looks like. You see, buy-ins are not always exactly 10 units. Now, why do I tell you 10 units? I tell you 10 units specifically if we're playing blackjack, because I want you to have some extra chips left over when you make the last bet. When you bet that seventh unit, I want you to have a little money left, particularly at blackjack, so that you have money available from your original buy-in to split or double if that's what you need to do. I also tell you 10 units and then a negative exit of minus seven units because I want you to develop an essential skill, the skill of leaving with some money left. The discipline of not betting down to the last chip, I should say check, but not betting down to your last buy-in amount to preserve your bankroll and, and, and to preserve some of your money and to not try to do the improbable, which is to win everything back with just a few chips. That's why I say buy-in with 10, leave minus 7, have a win stack, and then record how much you've won or lost when your play stack hits minus seven. That's what I teach. In the reality, I sometimes leave and I've won just a little, and then leave and I've lost just a little, and then leave and I've won just a little, and we're just kind of going back and forth, but the reality is sometimes that back and forth, back and forth, I'm ready to buy in again, and I have eight chips, and I'm not going to pull out the money to buy two more chips, I'm just going to play with eight. And I'm going to play till there's only one chip left. And I can do that because I have a pocket full of money, and then I have another pocket full of money that I won, and then I have a cloud safe, which is a bank account that I can get to with an ATM card full of money, and then I have a real safe full of money, and it's all money that was won, and money that's there to back me up if need be. And so it's okay if I make the seventh bet with an eight chip buy-in and I need to split and double, I have plenty of resources and I'm mentally capable of having the discipline to know I started with eight chips and I'm going to leave when I'm minus seven chips and I'm going to record the outcome. But that takes a lot of discipline. That takes a lot of focus. That takes a lot of remembering that I only started with eight, not 10 when I restack the chips. A beginner should not introduce, once again, my opinion, but a beginner should not introduce that extra complexity of, oh, that's right, I'm not restacking my abacus, my play stack abacus, I'm not restacking that to, to 10, I'm restacking that to 8. It is much easier to do it if your abacus always visually looks the same. It is a PhD level of activity to do this with varying buy-ins and varying chip stacks acting as your abacus. You don't need to do that when you are just learning this, but you can do it and introduce efficiencies if you do it at a PhD level. Likewise, let's talk about exit points, 
right? Let's talk about exit points. I always teach negative exit point as your, your play stack is down to seven chips or down to three chips. You've lost seven, right? Lose seven, walk away, walk away with what's ever in your win stack and whatever in your play stack and document it and leave the table. Take a break and go look at the fountain. Go do all of that. Then decide if you're going to gamble some more. And if you're going to gamble some more, then go back and start over with it. But here's the reality, right? The reality is that from time to time, I have to choose between leaving having lost six units or leaving potentially having lost eight units because the next wager that I need to make using TRG wagering system two always be grind in is I need to bet two units and I have four units left. So I'm either leaving with a six unit loss or I'm leaving with an eight unit loss and I almost always choose to make the next two unit bet and accept that I'm going to lose eight units, not seven on this particular table. Everything gets recorded correctly in the app to the penny, as close as we can do it. And that's true. I sometimes find a nickel or a dime sitting in a cup holder and pick up the nickel or dime, but I always record the nickel or the dime or the penny in the app as a positive number. Everything gets reported accurately. But often details that go into the travel and the results segment, little details get the the rough edges get blurred and cleaned up a little bit. The mess gets kind of left out. Everything isn't always as precise in the results and the travel part of an episode as they are in the teach. They just don't get shown that way. Items unrelated to outcomes get omitted in the interest of brevity and clarity. Let me give you an example of that. Let me give you an excellent example of that, right? I'm not going to take the time every episode to say, oh, and at this one table, on this one hand, I needed to double, but I was short $2.50 of what I needed to double, and I didn't break a green chip down into four red and two pink in order to make the next bet perfectly. I didn't do that. I doubled for less, which is something that casino allows you to do. I'm I'm cleaning that up. I'm just leaving that out. You're going to hear how much I won or lost in day's pay units, and I'm not going to tell you the minutia of those little tiny details. I'm not going to tell you the minutia of these other things. But when you function at an expert level, you do those things almost instinctively. When you function at a PhD level, you just make these adjustments. And let me tell you then next about the Meta Martingale approach that I am using every day when I go to my local casino. There are limited tables. There are some dealers that I would rather not play with. There are some players that I would not would rather not play with. There are some parts of the casino where I would rather not play. They're toward the front. They're toward the front of the casino. And why don't I want to play the tables at the front of the casino? Because the beginners, and I don't mean casino combat beginners. I mean like civilians. Let's go that way. Civilians, people that are just playing for entertainment, people that don't have enough money, have no skills, and are just walking in to lose their money so that I can get paid along with the other employees in the casino, they're just going to stop at the first available chair. And they're going to play just a little bit, and then they're going to leave. Or they're going to bounce between there and roulette and whatever else, and they're going to be in and out of hands. There is a possibility of that occurring toward the back of the building away from the entrance, 
but there is less probability of that occurring. There's also a higher probability that I'm going to be able to find a dealer I really like, a dealer who's really good, who has an empty table on your average Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I prefer to, to, to play toward the back. And when I've settled in, I may very well do the first two tiers of the Meta Martingale, the equivalent of a beginner level seven or eight tables, all at that one table, all in the same chair, and just record the results. So I may go all the way through the process and have a small win stack and have a, a, a play stack that moves down to seven units and on minus two units, and I'm just going to record the minus two unit loss. I am going to record if there was ever a point where I was ahead one unit for my ongoing project of seeing if the right way to do this is just to go in one, one hand and leave. And I'm just going to record minus two, one yes. And now I'm just going to play with eight units. In fact, a lot of times I've been doing ECEs buy in for two more units than I'm going to play and pocket two units, which really works well as I regroup. This is regrouping. I talked about this a lot in episode 63. I'm just going to regroup right there at the same table and start table two. I am not going to go look at the fountain. I am not going to go look at the Buddha statue. I am not going to go play a slot machine. Those techniques work. They're important. They're important points of discipline. Beginners should do that. Beginners should get out of the mental gambling space. But particularly if I'm not with my wife and I'm not on a trip, I'm not in Las Vegas where we can just wander from casino to casino, table to table. I'm not in Atlantic City where maybe we do want to go see the ocean and we want to go sit at a bar and and have a and have a slushy drink with an umbrella in it and, and look at the seagulls and, and hang out in cool spaces and get a snack and wander to a different casino. When I can't do that, when I'm just here by myself trying to make money, I'm going to accurately record my results. I'm going to make sure I have seven chips in front of me. I'm going to know that I have plenty of cash backing me up, and I'm going to move through the process. As I've said, as a beginner, you need to do it exactly, in my opinion, the way I've laid it out in the illustrations. As you have success, as you do it repeatedly, or as you work my concepts. If you're an established gambler and you're working my concepts into what you do, you may throw all that out the window. You may say, I know my discipline's fine. I know my focus is fine. I know that after 10 minutes of gambling or 15 minutes of gambling and losing two bets, I don't really need to go through the whole ritual of taking a break and walking away and checking my mindset and all those things. And that's fine. Experts don't necessarily always do that. Again, that's kind of why I'm bringing you Core Concepts PhD level, Casino Combat PhD level today, to acknowledge that this level exists, to acknowledge that you can level up as the youth say, to take a video game term, you can level up to the level where you do all these things, but you do them more quickly and efficiently. And that's the truth. I often go through, as I said, six, eight tables, whatever it takes, multiple tiers, all at the same table, particularly when I'm just by myself and just gambling locally. And I only break out of that table and when I go to tier three as ECE's excellent casino wisdom, casino wisdom number 40, teaches us we always want to make the wagers that get us the rules that our wager will allow us we always want to make our bets and the place where the best rules are available for that amount of money and at my local casino i get slightly better rules if i move into the high limit room and to move into the high limit room i need to be at tier three of my meta martingale if your meta martingale would take you to high limit sooner 
you should do that sooner. So that, that's why I often at my local casino do multiple tables all at the same table, multiple tiers all at the same table. I even sometimes move between the tiers fluidly at the same table. If I get to a spot at tier two where I don't have seven, I only have three units in my play stack. I've lost seven units out of my play stack, but I've won enough to win back everything I've lost on previous tables and have a small profit for the day, but not a one day's pay profit, I'll just switch gears. I'll just restack my chips, record my numbers, and go back to playing a tier one meta martingale to win those last few units with less money at risk and less risk of needing to go to tier three. It is not uncommon either locally, once again, or expert PhD level here from a PhD level, it's not uncommon when doing Meta Martingale, to look at results of a Tier 2 and decide that the right thing to do to finish the cycle with the least risk is to move back down to Tier 1. And then you might very well at Tier 1 lose 7 units and look and go, oh, I've, I've lost 9 units now, I need to go back to, to Tier 2. Or maybe you have 2 Tier 1 losses and you're back to Tier 2 and you're winning at Tier 2 enough to put you back at Tier 1 and then you finally get your day's pay number and you end the cycle and then if you're on a trip you start the next cycle and if I'm gambling locally, I'm leaving at that point. I hope that gives you examples and illustrations of what I mean to do this at a PhD level, to do this at an expert level. I hope that makes sense. Again, my opinion, beginners need to walk away. They need to take a break. They need to look at the fountain. They need to buy in with exactly 10 units. They need to leave pretty much with exactly seven units missing from their play stack. Beginners should not try the things I've just described here. But you know your own experience. You know your own knowledge. You know how you're operating. I wanted you to see that as you get more experience, some of those things are just wasted time. If you're good at this, just waiting till the end of the shoe and starting over is often enough. If you're playing by yourself, just saying, hey, give me one second and recording your results and starting your next table is a perfectly valid way to play. And if you've had those thoughts and said, yeah, but he doesn't teach it that way, I wanted to take time to teach it that way. The examples and illustrations in every episode are accurate and true from a certain point of view, but those are provided at a beginner level. At a PhD level, some of the complicated or irrelevant stuff gets omitted in the interest of brevity and clarity. And I hope I've shown you that today. I hope you, I hope I've brought that to you today. And I hope that you will uh, ask a couple questions and then we will do questions my sons asked. What? What? My sons ask questions about gambling. Strangers ask questions about gambling. Listeners ask questions about gambling. I've got a couple of questions to talk through with you today. And the first is almost more a story that contains a question that I think you should hear the answer to than it is an actual question. My sons actually do still ask questions about gambling. So let me start with a bit of a story, as I said, about a question the young squire asked me recently. The young squire is a digital nomad. He runs his company from wherever he happens to want to live. I picked him up at the airport recently so he could spend some time with the family before he heads to South America until the holidays. Now, the young squire is... From a gambling point of view, from a real-world point of view, he is an amazingly interesting person in what he has accomplished um, at the beginning of his professional life. He, it really is. And as a dad, I'd, I'd love to brag about that. But that's not really the point of this podcast. The Young Squire has an incredibly high gambling IQ. He has an incredibly high gambling vocabulary. And that's probably because he's been discussing gambling with me since he was like 
11. He doesn't gamble much. He doesn't particularly even gamble well, unless I'm with him and kind of coaching him through things. Then he does just fine. But he has an incredibly high gambling IQ. He asks incredibly perceptive questions. So we're just chit-chatting in the car, and he was asking how things had been going, and I told him some of my recent results. And he was like, why have your results improved so much? And I said, oh, because I'm fully using the Meta Martingale. And so he asked me what the Meta Martingale was, and I explained it to him. And he looks at me, and he goes, and this is the question part, he goes, wow, when did you invent that? That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant, Dad. When did you figure this out? And I said, oh, about 10 years ago. He says, 10 years ago? Why haven't you been using this? And that's the answer I wanted to share with all of you, because it's an incredibly perceptive question, and I wanted to answer that question for all of you. And there's a couple answers to this. And the first is this. When I invented the Meta Martingale, I had three kids in college, and I was paying for some part or all of that college experience, and I was using winnings to pay their bills. I couldn't hold winnings as backup money. I couldn't hold winnings against future losses nearly to the level I wanted to because often I'd have some winnings, winnings I'd think I was going to hold, and then one of them would have an emergency. One of them would have a disaster that involved dad coming up with extra cash very, very quickly. And there are some stories there that should be told at some point about how some of those bills got paid with money I didn't have. However, not the point of this story, not rambling that I need to do right now. But what I do need to do is share with you, when this podcast started, the young squire was still in college. I was still paying rent on his college residence. I was still sending him money every week or two to pay for food. I was still paying his cell phone bill. I was still paying his bills as a college student. And that was additional income that needed to come from gambling, but that couldn't stay in gambling. I didn't have extras. So I wasn't doing the Meta Martingale. As we've moved through this process, he's he now makes more money than I do. He makes a lot more money than I do. He employs more people than I employ. His business makes more money than I make. He doesn't need my help. My oldest son, at the beginning of the podcast, had a couple properties that he owned. My oldest son now has so much real estate that he's going to retire probably before my wife. Unofficially, he's still going to run his real estate uh, investments, but he'll be at a point where he could retire and just live off the passive income. My youngest son, when I started, or my middle son, when I started this podcast, the mad scientist was still working for someone else. Now the mad scientist runs his own company. My life has become very, very different in a relatively short period of time. Over the lifetime of this podcast, I can fully implement the Meta Martingale now, and I can implement it with confidence. So my son was surprised to hear how long ago I'd invented it because he thought it was a recent invention. Otherwise, I'd have been doing it the whole time. Couldn't be further from the truth. I thought that that uh, was an illustration that needed to be made by answering the question. And then our next question for this segment is a bit more complex, less of a story and more of a true question. So this question came in, not from an in-person conversation, but from a listener email and our, our squad mate, our podcast listener, want to win 11 sends an email. He says, hi, TRG. I really appreciate the podcast. I live near a casino and turned 21 during the pandemic. I tried the casino a few times, but it was always, what was, what is your word? 
It was a GLL, gambled, lost, left. I don't make a lot of money with my regular job, so that really wasn't fun. Since I started listening to your podcast, I put together a small bankroll. I've been able to visit the casino a couple of times a week, and using TRG Wagering System 1, I'm making some extra money every month and eating some free meals. They even gave me a blender last month, lol. (laughs) Good for him. He continues, I'm not winning enough to really need to follow your casino wisdom about big wins. I just put the money in my checking account and spend it with my debit card. My dad says that I'm going to get into trouble with the IRS and that I need to be ready to pay taxes on all of my wins. I have a friend who does pretty well playing poker and he says, that's BS. Gamblers pay their taxes when they lose. I don't need to worry about the IRS. I'm not emailing to ask you who is right. What I want to know is how to hide my winnings so I don't have to worry about any of this. Interesting. Very, very interesting. All right, want to win. And and I sent him these thoughts. Want to win. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. And I'm so glad to hear that you are finding success doing the things that I've taught and talked about. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to put on the black hat. I'm going to put on the crook hat here in a minute. And, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question. I'm, and I'm not going to pretend that I have not thought about this from time to time. And I'm not going to pretend that I haven't had these conversations with other people. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be honest. That wouldn't be right. I'm, I'm going to put on the black hat and, and I'm, and I'm going to answer your question. And I think it's a bad idea. I, I think doing what I'm going to describe in a minute is a horrible idea and not because I'm probably old enough to be your father. I strongly recommend you track your winnings. You admit your winnings to the IRS, you put aside money to pay your taxes, and you pay your taxes. And you don't try to hide stuff from the IRS. That would be my advice. If we were sitting together somewhere, having a root beer, maybe not your dad's root beer, if we were sitting somewhere having a root beer, I would tell you this is a bad idea. And then the next thing I would tell you very, very quickly is that I am not an accountant, I am not a CPA. I am not a tax preparer, I am not a tax accountant, I am not a tax attorney, and you should not take advice in those areas from an old IT guy who happens to be good at gambling. I am a bad source for tax or accounting advice. Trust me when I tell you that. You should not be taking tax advice from me. No question about it. I'd be of the opinion that your dad is right. If you're not going to properly pay your taxes, I would not put winnings into the bank. I would not do that. I would not put any money in a bank account or really minimal amounts that could be accounted for in other ways. I I wouldn't do it. I would not put winnings in a bank. I personally like having winnings in a bank so that I have money to offset future losses and I have money to get to with an ATM if I need to, so I'm not carrying a bunch of cash. I really like that, but I believe your dad is 100% right. And I know you asked me not to take sides and I have heard your poker friends, I've had professionals, known professionals tell me when I have this conversation with them that they pay their taxes when they lose. So let me now get into answering your the question that you asked. Your question was, how do you hide your winnings? Don't think you should. Not something I do. Not something I advise you to do. But let me answer your question. You just turned 21 recently, according to your email. So let me share an old dude secret with you. Something that my sons don't really know either. You can spend cash. You can. You can take your winnings in cash from the cage and then spend them on things you want or need to buy. It's easy. It's almost easier than using a debit card. You just hand someone money 
and they hand you change. You do not have to put the money in the bank so that it's available on a debit card. And I'm and I'm saying that with a little bit of snark and a little bit of sarcasm. My son had to start making really the young squire had to start making money, decent money, and having to pay for things for employees on outings randomly and and sort things out randomly before he finally looked at me and said, "Dad, you're right." It took me 10 years to learn I should listen to you and have some money in my pocket instead of just walking around with debit cards and paying for everything with cards. And you've been trying to teach me that for years. And for years, I've been walking out the door to go places with no money. And you've been handing me 20 or $40. And it, it, he just recently admitted that I was right. And that's why I'm, <laughs> that's why there's a little sarcasm there. Just spend the cash. Just buy stuff with cash. Don't put it in the bank and use your debit card and create a record for the whole world to see of what you're buying and spending. The next thing that I would recommend is using winnings to buy things that can be turned back into cash in an emergency. Specifically, you as you're starting out, as you're younger. And let me give you a great example of that. We have a tremendous family-owned jewelry store in my part of the country. They have three three stores. They're great stores, beautiful stores, clean stores. They're also pawn shops They, in the sense that they buy gold, they buy diamonds, they buy jewelry, they buy things of value. And they have a very, very interesting approach. If you bought something from them and you don't like it, they give you a full store credit. This happened uh, just uh, about a year ago. I was going to the jewelry store to get something repaired. And my wife said, oh, hey, if you're going, would you have them modify this pendant that you gave me? Because I really like it. But because it's really long and heavy on the end, it always rotates around and everybody sees the back. They don't see the front. It won't stay facing the right way would you have them modify the 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 connection to the necklace so that it won't do that and so i went into the jewelry store and i explained everything to them and the the store manager looked right at me and she said we can't do it we regret selling those a lot of people have come in we sold a number of those people have come in with the same request we've tried to honor the request we have not found a way to modify that necklace so it won't do what your wife didn't like i assume you bought it here and she i said yeah i'm i'm pretty sure i did i normally buy most of my stuff here and she said let me look and she looked things up and she said yeah you bought it here if she doesn't like it i will take it and you are welcome to spend that money that you gave us originally a year ago on whatever you would like for her to have instead and I bought her a different necklace, and she really likes it. She wears it all the time. And so recently, you know, I've been winning money, and I went and I bought a new piece of bling, and I'm waiting for it to be delivered. I bought an, uh, an additional ring to wear. And I did that partially not to hide money from the government, but to put wins into something extravagant that I would not normally buy, that I will like and enjoy, that I will have a good story to tell about, and I did that at that store knowing that if I ever get stuck, if I would ever lose so many times that I really needed to get that money back into the game, they'll buy it back for me at any point for what I paid for it. In fact, they have a guarantee that if after two years you decide you don't want something you bought from them, they'll give you what they paid, what you paid plus 10%. So I would recommend putting winnings into things that you would like to have that you can easily turn back into the same amount of cash or more in an emergency. So here's the full crook move. Here's the black hat going on. And here's the full crook move answer to this that I do not recommend. You don't want to put winnings in a bank. 
And you need a way to buy things with winnings. You need a way to pay bills with winnings. You need a way to do a variety of things with winnings. So, for example, suppose you have a credit card with a bank that has a brick and mortar location where you are. And hopefully that bank will issue you a credit card and that credit card will have a reward system that gives you cash back or travel miles or something like that. You take that credit card, you pay bills, you buy things that you want to buy you that require a credit card right? You need to order it online. It needs to have a credit card. You want to buy a handgun. What the heck? Why not? So you buy the handgun with the credit card. The handgun gets delivered. You do a legal transfer. You now have a handgun and you now, as you have winnings, you stop by the bank and you pay the bank with cash. Now, I suppose that not being an IRS agent, I suppose it's possible that at some point, someone could have a question about where the cash came from to pay for the credit card. Um, I wouldn't do this, but if I was doing this, I could answer that question by saying, oh, I took the money out of my business checking account and then used it to pay this bill because I didn't want to write a check and waste the cost of a check. It was just easier to walk across the street from the bank where I do my business banking to the bank where I do my credit card banking and, and pay off this credit card. And I would have transactions to hide that behind that statement. See, see this withdrawal a couple days before I paid myself from my business account, which I'm allowed to do. And then a couple of days later, when I had a minute, I stopped by and paid off this card. I have the possibility of doing that and doing that in a reasonable way, not something I would do, but it is a way to hide your winnings by using cash to pay for something that you can't pay for with cash. Another way that you can do this, if you have a grocery store near you that has a reward system, you could win money at the casino then go to the grocery store and buy either one Amazon gift cards or two Visa gift cards. Obviously, the Amazon gift cards get deposited in your Amazon account, but that is super easy. If you've never done that, there's a, a alphabetic code on the back of the card. You just rip the cardboard open, open the Amazon app on your smartphone, go into the gift card section of your account and click tap, not click, scan card and the phone on your card will read the code on the back of the card and put the money in your account. And now the things you buy on Amazon, you're buying with gambling cash. And for other things, to our earlier example, if you want less visibility to everyone, if you want to make this a full crook move, you can just buy an Amazon gift, uh, a Visa or a MasterCard or an American Express gift card at the grocery store with cash. And I'm saying do this at the grocery store because then you give them your reward card and then you get, in my case, where I could do this if I chose to, you get free gasoline. So you take the casino win that got you free fake casino money and then you take that cash and you go to the grocery store where you buy Visa and American Express and Amazon gift cards and you show them their reward card, the equivalent of their player's card. And then they give you rewards on their reward system that you can turn into groceries or gas. And I suspect, depending on where you live, there might very well be a big box of some type where you could do the same thing. And, and get gift cards and get different rewards that might suit you better or get cash back. The idea here is that if you were going to pull this crook move, you would be layering 
rewards and free tax-free imaginary money on top of rewards and free tax-free imaginary money using money that you won through your gambling skill and used cash to buy assets that don't have to go through banks. So there's the black hat part of it. There's the full-blown crook part of it. The I don't recommend it crook part of it. Final thought. Final thought. Want to win 11. If you're going to do this, be careful. Now, honestly, everything I know says you have to make a fair amount of money to even get audited by the IRS these days, to even have them want to look into you and see if your bank accounts indicate you have been cheating the system and not paying your taxes on cash revenue. You have to make a lot and report a lot of real income to be audited. But there is something called a lifestyle audit at lower levels of income. If you appear to be living in a way that does not match up with your reported income, even if you make less than a quarter of a million, half a million dollars of reported income, you can get audited. Don't make very much money and drive an expensive sports car. You may get audited, and they may find this. And that is not a place you want to be. I do not advise you to do this. I am not recommending any of this. But I have a role as an expert to answer your theoretical question with theoretical crook moves. And I've done that and I've answered it and I've told you I think it's a horrible idea and you shouldn't do it. Okay, lecture over, dad mode over. Um, Our travel segment is next, so let's ramble. Each and every episode of our Casino Combat Podcast, I share my gambling results and experiences in casinos. And this episode, I'm going to cover the first two weeks of July 2022. And this is going to pretty much catch us up, back to real time. And I am going to try to keep us in real time. And that's probably the third or fourth time over the course of this podcast that I've said I was going to do that and failed from extenuating circumstances. So let me set the stage a little bit here. Let me remind those of you who have been listening, those of you that maybe don't listen in order, those of you that might be listening on the first time, let me catch you up. I lost money the first 10 days of March, but had a nice win for the month. I made good money, cash profits in April. Good money, I should say we. Good money, cash profits in May. Amazingly great money in June. And so I went into July, July 1, I am feeling bulletproof. I am feeling unbeatable. It has been forever since I lost any meaningful amount of money. And if I did, it was money I had already won. And I quickly won it back and kept moving forward. I'm winning a day's pay every time I try. Anytime I try, often multiple days pay in in the same day when we're traveling. Sometimes multiple days pay just because things go well and I stick around a little longer before I finally lose my seven units from my play stack. And I'm not going to do every day, but I am going to do the first two days. July 1st and 2nd. In fact, I'm going to do July 1st and 2nd kind of through the 4th in some detail because there are lessons we can all learn from the first two days, especially TRG. TRG really has some things he needs to learn from this. I'm hoping all of you can learn from my mistakes and then we'll get some value out of this and and we'll keep going. Dope. July 1st, new month. As I said, I am feeling unbeatable and bulletproof. And so I'm playing my first table for the month and I I, uh, take a small loss 
hit my minus seven units on my play stack and I've lost some money and I record that and Gabriel stops by and he initially stops by to warn me that a lady that just sat down plays really weird and she's going to be annoying and I'm not going to like it and maybe I should move. And I said again, I'm feeling bulletproof and I say, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And so Gabriel's just kind of hanging out and talking a little bit and chit-chatting a little bit while I'm playing and I start winning and I start winning really fast. And Gabriel says, oh, I was going to join you for the next shoe, but you're going to be done and out of here. You're going to hit your number. And I said, no, I already recorded a loss. I've got a ways to go before I hit my goal. And he says, okay. And he sits down, but I reach my goal. I win every hand on the back half of the shoe. I finish the back half of the shoe at my two and a half units multiple times, catching a blackjack, doubling and splitting and getting lousy cards and still winning. And I'm just bam, bam, bam. I'm just making money. I caught all that positive variance that we talk about or have talked about. I'm way over my win. I'm over my win goal for the day. I'm good. I want a ton of money in June. I really can't lose at this point. And Gabriel sat down and I really enjoy hanging out with Gabriel. And we haven't gotten to do that in a while because I've been busy. And so I'm like, eh, I got time. I'll just start another day. I'll just do another Meta Martingale cycle and hang out with Gabriel and I'll win another day's pay. Well, I did another cycle to losing tier one tables, and you've heard earlier in my PhD segment that I just did those at the same table, followed by a losing tier two table, just hanging out with Gabriel, followed by a losing table at tier three in high limit. Now, I did win a few, I, I won money before Gabriel and I sat down, so I did win some money there, and I did hang out with Heidi in the beer house um, on my way out, but a loss, a losing day to start the month. And that losing day happened because I was feeling unbeatable. No one is unbeatable. I should have taken my day's profit and headed out instead of sticking around just because Gabriel sat down. Or I should have just done what he did and watched him play while I enjoyed a beverage. I should have just reversed our positions. Dumb. Really, really dumb. And I am honored to be able to bring you the really dumb stuff I do so that you can try to not do the dumb stuff that I do. July 2nd comes around, I do some work for some customers, I stop at the horse track, I pick up some stuff, I'm, I'm going and doing all the normal TRG stuff that I do, and I'm not really worried about the day before. Things happen, I made a mistake, and I make my way to my local casino, I end up at a fun blackjack table, fun people, a dealer I really like, and I reach a point, and it's in my notes, the value of being accountable, I reach a point where I am less than one unit away from being done for the day. And I am super focused on getting one more unit. And I am so focused on that thought, that obsessive thought that I need to make up for the day before by winning one day's pay, exactly one day's pay or more, that I forget Casino Wisdom number 37, which teaches us to have fun, but pay attention to the details. I'm having fun. I like the people I'm with. I got to get that one unit. I got to get that one unit. I got to get out the door. I got to start replacing what was lost the day before. And I missed the details in my own technique. I should have lost no more than three units and then recorded the results and then made my decisions about getting the final, call it four units, three units and some change that I needed. Instead, I missed the detail. And I played all the way down to seven units in my play stack and didn't record the results, which meant 
I only had a very, very small win for the table, a virtually non-existent win. So I had to start over. And now I'm started over thinking I got to get that day's win. And that's two tier one losses, followed by a tier two loss, followed by a tier three loss in high limit, back-to-back losing days. And neither one of them should have been a losing day. Frankly, after the first losing day, I should have been happy recording a win just a little short of my goal and walking out a winner. And it should have been two winning days and the bin should have continued and there should be like another 10 days pay in my bankroll. Somewhere around there. That's probably more like eight. But yeah, I, I lost eight days pay that I shouldn't have lost to start the month through just little small mistakes. And now that makes me sound foolish for doing the PhD speech earlier. Even PhDs make mistakes, I guess. So it's July 3rd. And now we're taking advantage of our vacation club, right? Our country club. We're going to take advantage. And we did cookout stuff with, with everybody, um, on the second. Did all, did our cookout stuff then. Enjoyed family, enjoyed friends, enjoyed the grandkids. And on the third, we went and did a comped brunch and got our gifts locally and then went off to that MGM property that I worked so hard to get comped at off to that MGM property, two and a half hours West and North for two comped nights. And we didn't do the stop at the little, my choice property. We enjoyed brunch instead. I mean, always be casinoing. Sure. We have a casino wisdom, ABC, always be casinoing. And that's true but our our free bets were small and brunch was more valuable and we enjoyed the brunch and we got our gifts and we went to enjoy our 4th of July. And we got back on the winning side of things with multiple winning Meta Martingale, Martingale cycles and both Mrs. TRG and I are, uh, were winning on all the slot machines we were playing using TRG slot strategy El Numero Dos. And July 4th, we visit the My Choice property that's about five minutes from the MGM property and did some comped bets and picked up some comped food and got back to the MGM property. And we asked and were told that our room was on the wrong side of the building for us to see the fireworks display that were going to be set off at the baseball stadium. We'd heard about that on the radio, but we had a great idea. We went ahead and gambled until it was almost dark, until the sun was going down. Then we went to our room, ordered room service, and since we were in a big city, our idea was correct. All of the suburbs around the city were all having their own fireworks displays for their own communities that lived there. So we had beautiful fireworks as far as the eye could see, 180 degrees in both directions. We saw the most amazing fireworks from our hotel room, enjoying our room service, admittedly enjoying some cocktails. And then we went back down and did some more gambling and won some more money. And this all really reminded us of one of the very early podcasts. One of the very first podcasts early in the process was the first 4th of July podcast episode. And we watched fireworks while everyone was locked in their rooms, locked in their homes, not allowed to go out, not allowed to gather and enjoy fireworks together. There were fireworks that we got to see that were all along a set of rivers and mountains at the Caesars property, five and a half hours south and west of our home, that was our pandemic retreat for so long in the first year of this podcast. Everyone was on lockdown, but we could drive there and check into a great hotel room and order great room service and and do some careful gambling. And it reminded us of how far the world has come, but it was a great look back on something that was a great experience for us that became a great podcast episode. 
and we headed home on the 5th, and we had a small profit for the month of a couple days' pay. So despite two losing days that should have been winning days, we were still in good shape for the month by day five. I gambled locally the rest of the week, a week that saw the second half of our former move sorted out. We we had about half the house packed in storage, and the, the little pod thing was delivered, and movers came and unloaded the rest of the house. So after a number of uh, very long weeks, we had a couple of very long days in the middle of the week to kind of sort out the rest of the move. And I want to tell you about those days because I think they are a very important illustration of all of this as well. And maybe I'm a little fanatical about this or maybe I'm just focused. And I guess once again, like heroes and crooks, you can make that decision. So they unpack the pod and unpacking the pod means supervising the movers and telling them where to put stuff and then unboxing stuff and then rearranging stuff and then moving other stuff out of the way and all of that. And it's a long day and at about 530, I'm taking a shower. My wife looks at me getting dressed and she says, where are you going? Because obviously I'm not getting dressed to stay home after my shower. It's obvious to her knowing me. And I said, I didn't charge anybody any money today. I got to go to work. And she's like, really? Now? Really? You're going to leave now and go to the casino? And I said, I'm not going to the casino. I'm going to my job at the casino, just like any other employee would. Yeah, I am. I don't want to. I want to put on comfy clothes. I want to pour a bourbon. I want to sit down on the couch and I want to fall asleep after two sips of bourbon and be done for the day. But yes, I didn't make any money today. I can't have weekdays that I don't make any money. I need to go to work. And I was fortunate. The entire process took less than 80 minutes. I drove 30 minutes down. I won every hand for about half a shoe. I looked at the money. I said, that's more than I needed to make for the day. I was out the door in less than 20 minutes. And I made a 30-minute drive back home with more than a day's pay. The following day, the work-life mix was a little bit different, but it was a similar late visit, a similar visit that my wife was going, oh, you don't need to do this. We're fine. And I said, I do. I need to do this. It was almost an exact duplicate, but the winning started a little more slowly, and it took me a little more like 40 minutes to get past my day's pay number. So finally, after a long process, we got all our belongings in our new house. Uh, we took a Sunday evening trip to our home casino for a comped room and a comped meal. Things did not go super well for me. Mrs. TRG did fine. Mrs. TRG won some money on slots. But toward the end of the evening, I'm in my Meta Martingale cycle and I need to go to Tier 3. And the high limit room at that casino was not open on a slow Sunday. Now, the rules at my home casino at any table limit are really very good. They're very, very good. Their, their rules are better for $10 on the main floor than the rules in my high limit room at my local casino. But I was a little concerned that mid-shoe entry is allowed on their low-end tables. I was a little bit concerned that it was a kind of sloppy Sunday night with a lot of people sucking down beers. And so when I found an empty table, the pit boss comes over and he's checking me in at a $15 table. And I'm buying in with a big stack of hundreds. And I said, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be betting a good bit more than the table minimum. Would you be able to move the minimum up some so I don't have people just jumping in and out for a hand or two? Casino Wisdom number 77 teaches us, if you don't ask, you don't get. And that is often very, very true. 
I asked for what I wanted. The pit boss promptly moved the table limits from a $15 minimum to a $50 minimum, reached under the table, pulled out a no mid-shoe entry sign, and put it on the table, making the table a no mid-shoe entry table. He did everything I asked him to do and more. And eventually, another gentleman and his wife did join me to start a new shoe, and that was fine. We won a lot of money. We had a good time gambling together at a higher level. And I finished the Meta Martingale cycle and then played a little more and finished with a nice profit. I finished up the rest of the week gambling locally, collecting comps, collecting various things. And despite a horrible start, we are right on track. 13 and a half days pay one playing table games, one day's pay one playing slot machines using TRG slot strategy El Numero Dos with our own money, and less than a day's pay spent on the expenses associated with the trips and visits and things that we did and took. I've mentioned TRG slot strategy El Numero Dos a couple of times. If you're not familiar with my slot strategies, they are available in the Fred section of the website, casinocombat.com, along with a variety of other materials that we have created as a squad to help everyone improve their game. And I need to mention that that's there because that is new. We used to have to email Fred. Now you can just go to the website and download anything and everything that you might need. All that is free, of course. We do not charge other gamblers to help them be better at the game of casino gambling. All right, let's adjourn to our wonderful virtual VIP lounge for some sips and a trilogy of tables. A little bit of the bubbly. If our Casino Combat podcast is the most must-listen-to casino podcast of 2022, then this is the most must-listen-to moment in casino lifestyle podcasting each and every episode. Welcome to the Casino Combat Virtual VIP Lounge, where we have the best virtual everything virtually all the time. The virtual bar is fully stocked, as is the newly renovated virtual buffet. I don't know why we didn't have a virtual buffet from the very beginning. I really don't. What a great idea, he says, patting himself on the back. We should always have a virtual buffet, which is why we have remodeled the virtual VIP lounge to include a virtual buffet. Help yourself to whatever you would like to virtually enjoy today. And if you can, if you can press pause and pour yourself something or make yourself a snack, join me in real life. Please press pause. Help yourself to something. I will be right here when you get back. I promise it will happen. As Y2J says to open the segment each and every episode, I'm going to have a little bit of the bubbly to celebrate being on the top 25 list of casino podcasts must listen to in 2022. That is a tremendous honor. I am so thrilled and thrilled, obviously, that VCPD brought that to my attention. I am going to call our story today a trilogy of tables. Because to really enjoy the end of the story, you need to know the beginning of the story. This is, in typical TRG fashion, a trilogy in which you need to know the story about the story to enjoy and comprehend the story that I want to tell you. Actually, all parts of this are interesting, I think. I hope you'll find them interesting. So, the first table in our trilogy, table one. And I'm with Mrs. TRG because we've had a lovely comp to dinner and we've picked up our grocery store gift cards and now we're just starting to, to, to the process of trying to win a little money. Okay, I'll get back to the table. I gotta tell you another little quick story. Not only has Mrs. TRG recently moved up her unit size, but she's also getting ready to retire in about a year. And she's realizing that in retirement, since she'll still have her teaching certificate, she could act as a substitute teacher. And she's been thinking about that a little bit. She kind of prefers having her own classroom. But she did find out how much a substitute teacher makes for substitute teaching in this area. 
And she's realized that that is a very, very easy day's pay number for her to reach. And so Mrs. TRG now has a day's pay number. It is smaller than my day's pay number because she has decided that in retirement, it would just be easier for her to come to the casino with me five days a week and earn that very small amount of money than it would be to go teach third graders for eight hours a day. And I I just found it interesting that in this process of coming down with me a little bit this summer and getting ready to retire and sort out her retirement options, she's really realizing that her best retirement options are just to be a professional gambler because it's such a small money to win at the unit size she's playing, which is just an indication they do not pay substitute teachers nearly enough. Here's the, here's the tale of the first trilogy, the, the first table in our three table trilogy. We're playing, we're gambling. I receive a two and a three and the dealer says six and I say five. And then I receive, I hit that because of the cards that are being shown and the dealer gives me a 10 and says 16 and I say 15 and she follows that with a two when I request a card and she says 19 and she turns over her cards and she says the dealer has 18 pay 19 and she pays me so at this point i've corrected her three times she said i have a two and a three she said six i said five she followed by a 10 she said 16 i said 15 she followed by a two she said 19 I said 18, and so at this point, when she says 18, pay 19, and she pays me, Mrs. TRG and I just give up, and we follow casino wisdom number 88. When gambling, mistakes happen, let the dealers and the pit bosses do their job. We let her do her job. It's her job to run the game. It's not my job. I tried multiple times. She ignored me. I gave up. She paid me, I took their money, and all the players at the table smirked because all the tables at the player had heard me correct her. All the players at the table knew she had paid me and she shouldn't have. It should have been a push. And we all just laughed at the fact that the dealer was wrong and the dealer had ignored me, so focused as she was on doing her job. And of course, we just, as I said, let her do her job. I made notes. Not really a big deal. I'd probably brought it to your attention anyway and we'd have done it in the results segment or the travel segment, whichever we were going to do. But that leads us to table two in our trilogy of tables. I'm playing a couple other people at the table. The one person's done really, really well. They bought in for just a couple hundred dollars, ran it up to 500 bucks, and they were wisely leaving. Brilliant play. Love what I saw. So they push their chips in. The chips get counted. And the dealer says loudly, as they're supposed to, coloring up 500, sending one purple, and we wait. Coloring up 500, sending one purple. Coloring up 500, sending one purple. No response. And so I look and I see that pit boss Captain Courageous, Courageous spelled with a K in the show notes, by the way, is clearly busy handling some big payout, a straight flush payout, thousands of dollars on a Mississippi stud table on the other side of the pit. And so he's not hearing. And I'm almost tempted to just say, send it and then tell him about it. I'm I'm tempted to just do his job on his behalf and see if the dealer will just appreciate it and we can all just go on with the game because the rest of us are waiting. And eventually he hears her and he looks over his shoulder. He barely looks. He couldn't tell if she'd done it right or not, which is what he's supposed to do in this. His role in this is to come over, look at the chips, and make sure that she has, in fact, counted everything correctly. He looks over his shoulder, past a pillar, through a printer, 
through her back, and maybe Captain Courageous has X-ray vision, it is possible Captain Courageous could have X-ray vision, in which case he could actually see the chips, but otherwise he could not see the chips. He had no way of knowing if she'd done it correctly or not. And he says, send it, and she sends it. And a few minutes later, he's gotten his Mississippi stud thing taken care of, and he comes over and confirms that there was one purple and who got the purple and checks the details and records it in the computer. And he's standing around just kind of chit-chatting with me. I've known him for years. And I say, you know, I almost just went ahead and said, sent that because you were busy. And he looks right at me. He says, you know, the pit bosses and the dealers would all appreciate it. If you just handled some things like that for us, we'd have all, we'd all be fine with that. It's no big a deal. He goes, just don't send anything larger than a purple chip. Don't send any orange chips or gray chips and make sure you tell the pit bosses so they can get things recorded correctly. But otherwise, thanks for helping out. We all know you know what you're doing. And I say, well, I probably shouldn't tell you this. I don't want to get anyone fired. And I tell him the story about table one. And he listens and he goes, that's not a big deal. Surveillance probably didn't even notice. They're probably eating donuts. Honestly, TRG, if you just need an extra payout once in a while... Just ask for it. I don't care. It's it's not a big deal. No one cares. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be happy to, to just pay you out extra sometimes if you need it. And I say, okay, then I'll, I'll keep that in mind. And a few minutes later, another player buys in with three black chips. They bring three black chips to the table. They hand them to the player, to the dealer with the, the player's card. And the dealer puts out the, the green chips that go with it and says, changing three black, three black in. And then a quick pause, changing three black, three black in. And then she looks at me with her eyebrow raised. And I realized I'd missed my prompt. And I say loudly, three black, bring them in. And Captain Courageous, several tables down, very loudly says, don't make her ask next time, twice, please. Just handle it the first time. I say, heard, sorry. (laughs) Okay. Table three of our trilogy. Fast forward about an hour. I'm in high limit. I'm doing tier three of the Meta Martingale. I'm doing fairly well. And the dealer from table two comes in to relieve the dealer at my table. The the dealer from table two in our trilogy of tables is the breaker for this table that I'm at in high limit. And a few hands in, I have an ace and a seven for a total of 18. And this is the hardest hand in blackjack to remember to play correctly because depending on the player's up card, it can be a stay or a double or a hit. And the dealer has a seven showing, so basic strategy indicates I should stay and not take a card. And that's how I'll win the most money by playing this combination of three cards. An ace and an eight for me and a seven for the dealer. I will win the most money over a hundred hands of this combination if I don't take a card. The dealer reveals a two for a total of nine, followed by a ten for a total of nineteen. And she says twenty sorry. And I say, actually, it's 19. It doesn't matter. It still beats my 18. She says, wait, wait, what? And I repeat myself. And the pit boss comes over and says, is there a mistake? And I say, yeah, not one that matters. I said, it's, it's fine. And I, I just show him the cards. And so the pit boss leaves and the dealer says, as I understand things, TRG, You should have just told me to pay you, and I would have listened to my boss and paid you. You didn't need to correct me. You just needed to tell me to pay you. (laughs) Um, I don't know how true that is, and I doubt anyone other than this dealer and Captain Courageous would allow me to get away with approving check changes and asking for payouts I hadn't won. But it, we have, and as we have learned recently, with great power comes great responsibility. So I'm not going to take advantage of my newfound authority, um, other than just to be helpful. If I'm in Captain Courageous's pit, 
it sounds like he expects me to help him do his job and I'm happy to help him do his job and handle the little things. If you've listened to all the episodes, you know, this is not the first time that I have been asked by a pit boss to fill in as a pit boss from the player's side of the table and handle some of these small check changes. And so I'm happy to do that. And I'm also grateful to know that I've earned Captain Courageous's trust and respect enough that, that he would extend these compliments to me. I, 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 I see that for what it is. And, and I, I'm grateful to know that that's the case. Please tip your waitresses, tip your bartenders, tip your dealers. If you have a host, tip your host. Don't tip away your wins. I have spoken. Everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. It's time for leaving. And I do hope you understand. I was born a rambling man. Love it. Hate it. It don't matter. Please share with your family and friends. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening.